Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Hello, I'm Nicholas DeMille. Welcome to this special Science Town series on connectivity. Given the events of the past year, it would seem that connectivity is more important than ever for work, education, groceries, mental health, and a whole lot more. As part of the 2021 Winter Enrichment Program at KAUST, we're exploring connectivity in all its forms with some of the world's leading experts. Today's guest is Mohamed Slim Alouini. He's a distinguished professor of electrical and computer engineering at KAUST. Alouini joined my colleague Ben Stevens to talk about how wireless connectivity might well be the way to speed attainment of many of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Enjoy. So you have many appointments at KAUST, including Principal Investigator of the Communication Theory Lab. What motivated you to set this up? So when I joined KAUST uh, 11 years ago uh, as a founding faculty, uh, I mean, obviously, naturally, uh, when I established my research group, uh, it was in my area of expertise. And uh, my area of expertise, as I mentioned, is, is communication theory for wireless communication. And, uh, uh, you know, as you know, when Cow started at that time in 2009, it started with uh, four well-known pillars, uh, water, food, environment and energy. And only very recently, actually, the digital pillar was added to, to these four uh, initial pillars. So, so one may be kind of at this point, maybe one may be surprised to see how we already started working on, on a digital type kind of uh, research topic uh, in 2009. But, um, but, but in reality, and in my view, uh, as a founding faculty, I feel that this digital pillar uh, was kind of implicitly embedded in our cost research from day one. Uh, because I think it goes without saying that uh, uh, if you want to do kind of world-class research uh, in the initial four pillars, energy, food, water, environment, uh, you need the ubiquitous connectivity, you need digital technologies, you need data science. So these are actually nowadays uh, kind of very important enablers for let's say first-rate research in, in in smart farming to you know like to to kind of um, uh, make uh, agriculture uh, done in a more cost-efficient way or to kind of uh, uh, kind of improve uh, again the cost or the food uh, safety at the different level of the agricultural value chains or when we talk about uh, uh, environment or uh, uh, climate uh, change, obviously you need sensors, you need the connectivity of the sensor wireless sensor network to be able to uh, monitor, you know, how uh, mm -hmm. climate evolves and you know how important uh, climate change uh, uh, and how it affects uh, our life and planet Earth. So, you know, we started in 2009 working on telecommunications and uh, actually we, we, we found some niche where we were able to kind of uh, uh, make telecommunication useful to some of the initial pillars of KAUST by, for example, working on underwater communication. We can maybe talk more about that down the road. Great. Uh, so many, these days, many people are aware of 5G, but your work increasingly involves 6G. 
What is it and what are the opportunities that it offers? Okay, I mean, so, so basically we are, you know, collectively kind of involved uh, as users and as researchers uh, in this so-called mobile revolution uh, that we all experienced over the, the past four decades. So if you can try to summarize what happened, uh, the, the whole thing started in the 80s with 1G, which in a way was kind of the proof of concept stage. And then in the 90s, we have seen 2G, where basically we moved from analog communication to better quality voice communication. Towards the end of the 90s, we start you know, having some SMS and emailing capabilities in our cell phones. Mm -hmm. Then came the 3G era in the 2000s. Uh, and with it, actually, we moved online uh, uh, with our mobile devices. And now, in a way, we are enjoying this 4G era, where we have smartphones kind of communicating at, at, at relatively very comfortable high speeds. And as we speak, 5G is being deployed. But if, if you look at what I just said, essentially it, it takes about 10 years to develop a generation of wireless communication systems, another 10 years to, to deploy it and, and, and eventually it gets mature and, and we move to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So as we start implementing uh, or deploying 5G in, as we speak, as I said, in many cities worldwide, Obviously, it's uh, uh, natural from our side, researchers in this area, to start brainstorming uh, about uh, 6G and basically coming up with a vision for 6G uh, with an objective to uh, essentially establish a pretty much clear vision by 2025 that can be hopefully adopted by ITU, you know, it's the United Nations International Telecom Union. And then once this kind of vision uh, is established by let's say 2025, then there will be, you know, efforts in developing, testing, prototyping 6G, let's say between 2025 all the way to uh, end of uh, the 2020s, so that the first generation of 6G will be deployed by uh, 2030. So this is a little bit the, the roadmap. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, you know, answering the second side of your question, uh, in my view, 6G, uh, you know, will have, uh, let's say, uh, a twofold mission. One mission will be about what I, what I would say, hyper-connecting the connected, which means offer super connectivity to people who are already well-connected, used to kind of uh, uh, wireless communication features. But of course, we want to push the envelope. We want to enable uh, futuristic applications such as, let's say, real-time virtual reality gaming or, let's say, holographic uh, telepresence technology pushed to the mass so that, you know, this kind of Zoom meeting, maybe 10, 15 years down the road, will be kind of done in 3D holographic video conferencing setup. Uh, of course, you want also to have more ultra, ultra low latency uh, and more reliable communication so that you can control, uh, uh, you know, autonomous cars. And actually, people are talking now about autonomous flying taxis. Uh, so, you know, there are essentially some direction where we need to push the envelope. Mm. But then and that's the first mission of 6G. But then, in my view, the second very important mission of uh, 5G or of 6G, sorry, <coughs> is to connect the unconnected <coughs> or connect the underconnected. We tend uh, indeed to forget that uh, about half of our population, uh, about a number somewhere between three to four billion people, 
are still uh, basically either not connected or underconnected, which means they don't have access to broadband internet. They may have a 2G or kind of a voice quality connection, but and some of them don't have anything. But what are, this number that I'm quoting is a number where basically we are talking about broadband uh, internet. And uh, initial actually 5G deployment are, are showing that actually we are we tend to accentuate this uh, connectivity divide. Uh, this is the well-known uh, Matthew effect of uh, accumulate advantages where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And, uh, you know, obviously this is a bad tendency. And if something uh, that kind of COVID-19 showed is that uh, basically, uh, you know, connectivity uh, divide or connectivity inequity is... Uh, uh, in a way, uh, the modern face of uh, inequality in our world uh, between people who have access to information, who have access to, uh, to uh, you know, through connectivity, through uh, basically services and maintain their jobs or maintain their activity versus people who are either not connected or underconnected, who are much more affected. So uh, to me, uh, I think this kind of blind sight of uh, the previous Gs, including 5G, where mm. there was not enough focus on democratizing connectivity, making sure that essentially uh, everyone can be connected, uh, uh, is one other important mission of uh, 6G. And what are the uh, challenges that have um, prevented global connectivity up till now? Oh, yeah, that's a very good question. Thank you. Yeah, indeed. I mean, one may, uh, one may ask, there is actually this very uh, well-known theme for many years called GAIA. GAIA stands for Global Access to Internet for All. Okay. So right. it has been a dream or an objective for many years, but one may ask uh, why it took us so long to, to really start. Uh, and I think now there is some momentum. I mean, even in our conferences and our venues, uh, people are talking more and more about this uh, digital divide, connected divide. Uh, and uh, why are we, we did not achieve this guy objective for so many years. And uh, the reason are many. I mean, of course, there are some very basic, even I would say social reason like literacy, computer literacy, you know, people, not everyone is very comfortable using uh, smartphones and computers and uh, dealing with connection and things like that. There is sometimes language issues, lack of actually relevant uh, local content. So these are, kind of, I mean, very high level reasons. But now if, if you want to look at some more technical reason, let's say, uh, there is, uh, first of all, uh, a basic economic uh, reason. So, uh, you know, there is, of course, there is, the, the smartphone can be expensive, the data plan can be also expensive or, or sometimes confusing. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, beyond that, uh, the MNOs, so MNOs will stand for mobile network operators, uh, tend to work on a model of return on investment. So they invest quite a bit of money to access uh, to spectrum. I mean, you need to, to buy the spectrum from, you know, the, the government. And, and then uh, you, you need to kind of invest some time in research. We need to kind of deploy your equipment. So it, it does not make much sense for them to kind of dig and lay kind of, uh, you know, hundreds if not thousands of kilometers of fiber uh, cables to reach very sparsely populated uh, kind of uh, remote rural areas. They yes. tend to basically deploy their equipment in, in densely populated uh, urban environments so that they can get back their return on uh, investment. So uh, that's uh, one reason. Uh, there is sometimes a reason due to the fact that uh, we need to deal with the difficult terrain, uh, with uh, you know hard to reach areas, 
mountains, islands, so it's not easy to, to, to connect them through fiber optics uh, because, you know, high connectivity typically comes with fiber optics. And uh, when you have this kind of hard terrain, uh, again, with the sparse population, this equation doesn't work out very well and you end up having poor connectivity in these kind of regions. And then the, 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 the third reason um, uh, is, like, I mean, is related actually to something else, which is um, the grid, the power grid. We, we, we tend to forget, again, that uh, if you want to have an up and running, uh, let's say, the telecom network, you need to have an underlying, basically, power grid. So if the power grid, like in many, unfortunately, developing countries, especially in rural areas, uh, if this power grid is either not there or if it's there but not reliable, automatically your telecom network is not going to be functioning properly and you'll be lacking connectivity. Yeah. So these are some of the reasons uh, why, basically, we, we don't have global connectivity, uh, at least in rural, uh, remote, hard-to-reach areas. Uh, but actually, uh, we, we tend also to forget that when we say lack of connectivity, we also should include people that are living in, in dense urban environment, but who tend to live in low-income neighborhood, in slums or flavelas, where basically maybe connectivity is around, but maybe it's too expensive, uh, or, 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 or again, because companies know that they are not going to get a lot of revenues from this neighborhood, they don't deploy their best equipment. Uh, and... Uh, so, in other words, if you want to, uh, I mean, summarize situa situation, this connectivity divide, uh, 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 at least from the technical side, I mean, again, beyond this kind of uh, social aspect, is due to uh, low expected revenue uh, uh, per area in rural environment. So, if you want to quantify in kind of uh, X dollars per kilometer square monthly revenue, uh, you know, like essentially in rural area, you will get X versus uh, maybe 1000 X for the same area in, an, I mean, like from a coverage perspective. So the equation is very simple. Of course, you would like for, to put an equipment where you can get 1000 more uh, revenues. So yeah. th that's reason number yeah. one. Or, or sometime uh, because of the so-called, uh, I mean, it's like a technical term, I think it's called the low expected uh, revenue calculate as average revenue per user, the, the so-called so ARPU. So if the ARPU is low in low-income neighborhood uh, or sometime in temporary communities like refugee camps or something like that, yeah. again, it is not uh, profitable, let's say, to, to deploy uh, uh, cellular or, or wireless uh, networks or uh, there is, let's say, less appetite from uh, the MNOs to deploy uh, 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 wireless network in these kind of situations. So what can you actually do um, to overcome those barriers, particularly when it's the, the rural areas that are remote? What technology do we now have to, to solve that? Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, of course, the kind of natural, uh, you know, kind of follow-up question, let's say, in the sense that, I mean, how can we really bridge the digital divide or connectivity divide now that we are saying really it's an important objective? I think one key word that is coming now uh, frequently in our community is a so-called integrated space, airborne, terrestrial networks. So we are talking about three layers, space, satellites, airborne, balloons, airships, uh, UAVs, and then terrestrial. I mean, like the ground uh, base station and uh, basically classical access point. Mm -hmm. We need to integrate these three layers uh, because when you want to reach these remote areas, you have what we call uh, two kinds of problems. We have a backhaul problem, and then we have a last mile problem. I mean, 
uh, maybe it's easier actually to uh, to kind of always make the analogy between transport system and telecom system. Transport system are moving people and goods. So, you know, we, we can relate to them in a way, uh, in a more intuitive way. Uh, and when you want to connect or to, to connect, I mean, in a transportation system uh, uh, perspective, a remote province, the first thing you would like to do is probably put a highway, right? Because you'll have like a high throughput kind of transportation system. And then once you reach that province, you need to start going to the small villages and, and the small kind of... Uh, uh, hamlets, let's say, around maybe the big town or the big city of that province, and that's the last mile problem. A telecom system works in a way in a similar fashion. You want to reach a remote area, you need a backhaul, and the backhaul is going to be done through satellites. And we have a variety of family of satellite systems that are emerging, starting from the classical uh, geostationary satellites that have very wide coverage, but suffer from uh, typically a high latency, but some application can be fine with a relatively, like when you talk about video streaming or, or, or downloading data or, or, or emailing, you know, latency is not a big issue. But when you, you want real time or, or latency becomes important, you, know to, you need to go lower. And there you see all of these kind of emerging uh, mega constellation that we are seeing, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, pushed by a variety of, uh, let's say, um, uh, um, companies now, like, uh, you know, there is a Kuiper uh, Amazon project, there is a, a OneWeb project, uh, there is a, the, um, uh, the, the, the Starlink with the SpaceX. So all of these are being kind of uh, pursue, pursued. Uh, and, and these are all there to, to, to give us this kind of, uh, let's say, backhaul uh, solution. Uh, now, if you want to talk about access, to solve the so-called last mile problem, uh, you can have uh, either, uh, uh, you can, I mean, as simple as a mast, you know, a mast can be, that is back through a satellite, can be one way to kind of uh, solve the uh, last mile problem, but a mast, a terrestrial mast will have always a kind of a finite coverage area. If you want to have a bigger footprint, you, you need to have like basically a tower in the air. And how can you get a tower in the air? Is by having either a low altitude platform like a drone. If you want to go even higher and have a, a bigger footprint, then you go to the so-called uh, uh, either tether balloon that are kind of flying at an altitude of between 500 meter to one kilometer or all the way to the stratosphere where you have the so-called high altitude platforms uh, that basically can give you a footprint of with a radius of let's say 200 kilometers and the key point here is that a, a user at the ground will be using the same phone. He, we are not going to have special phones to, to connect uh, because rural areas and other phones that we'll be using to connect in, uh, in, uh, in urban environment. The same phone, the same IoT device that is used in urban environment, instead of connecting to a terrestrial uh, base station, will be connecting to this hub. Uh, this high altitude platform, this high altitude satellite, uh, and that hub will be backhauled through a satellite. So these are the solution or some of the solution that mm. are being pursued to basically bring connectivity to these remote uh, uh, and hard to reach uh, uh, areas.
going back to the, the slight social issue, uh, do you foresee quite a lot of government investment being required if companies are still thinking, well, this is a large outlay on drones and balloons and all these other bits of technology, and it's still not clear they're going to get huge return on their investment? That, that's actually one way. I mean, you need uh, probably to have have some um, uh, government investment, uh, but it's kind of an, a, a, a subsidies uh, in the beginnings. Mm -hmm. But again, if you, if you kind of make the analogy with transportation systems, it's just an initial kind of help. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, once that initial help uh, is provided, uh, this area is going to flourish. You are going to basically help this area get more, uh, maybe job opportunities, uh, maybe more kind of uh, uh, access to internet is going to give uh, uh, people in these areas access to financial transactions. Farmers will be able to maybe sell in a better way their products, not only locally, but uh, even uh, regionally or nationally, or even internationally. There was recently a very interesting uh, kind of development in Tanzania where uh, there is this company that uh, developed some uh, you know, kind of smart village kind of concepts. And there was this kind of uh, 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 small village that they use to, 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 to sell uh, the field. It's like near, it's an island, I think, or it's near the sea and they have fishes and they tend to kind of uh, only, their only market was kind of a very local market. Once connectivity was there, after some time, they were actually able to sell their fish to all the way to China from Tanzania. So uh, I'm saying this area can flourish. There is more economical revenues. And at the end, the initial investment helps this area, you know, becoming more prosperous. Uh, but so that's one aspect. Definitely uh, government subsidies can help to kind of initiate or, or like the first push, uh, if you will. But, uh, uh, but on the, uh, uh, at, um, you know, from another perspective, there is this uh, theory or economical theory of the base of the pyramid, uh, where basically, uh, you know, you have this uh, uh, essentially base of the pyramid. If you, if you rank people by kind of their income, you end up with this kind of pyramid. Uh, and uh, essentially, there is about these 4 billion people who, who tend to be at the bottom of base of the pyramid, who tend to be the people who are interconnected. But there is a big potential there. I mean, in the sense that it's a massive amount of people. So if you're able to connect them, then even if they, they contribute like in a minimal fashion, uh, essentially there is a way maybe to, 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 to have some benefits. Uh, and th this explains in a way why there has been quite a bit of interest recently by these GAFAs, the Google, Facebook uh, uh, of the world, to connect the unconnected or to connect the base of the pyramid. And many of the best uh, projects uh, or some of the best research being done in, in the area of connect the unconnected actually, actually is not done in universities, it is done in the research connectivity research labs of these GAFA companies. Mm -hmm. uh, because they are not after the connectivity per se, because they know after people are connected, they will start you know, accessing their services, their applications, and then uh, essentially, you know, this is the kind of the next set of people that are still not connected or not subscribed to their kind of services. So there are actually some initiatives also that are pushed by private kind of, you know, investment or by kind of, by, not necessarily only by government, but of course there is also government regulation. So at the end of the day, it probably you, you need to have some partnership between government, between industry, like, you know, private sector in order to bring connectivity for all. 
Okay, final question. Uh, what's first sparked your interest in telecommunications and what are your hopes for the next five years in the field? Oh, yeah. So uh, basically, you know, from, from my, my early days uh, as an undergraduate student in, in Paris, I, I was in a way fascinated by all kind of telecom system and network. I mean, these systems that essentially enable, uh, uh, in a way, paraphrasing the, the great Claude Shannon, uh, who's the father of information theory. There is recently a movie that, that was kind of released on the, the, the life of Claude Shannon. So paraphrasing Claude Shannon, I mean, telecom or uh, is about, uh, or, or it's the, let's say the art to move a series of zero and ones from one point to another. Uh, something that you really cannot experience or feel like, in, I was talking about transportation system where we are moving, you know, physically people and goods, but here we are moving information through electrons and photons. So it's kind of, it was always fascinating for me to, to, to look at this and, and to see how these kind of uh, tiny electron and photon are and carrying information in real time over this very long haul distance. So I still, when I think about it, believe that it's kind of mind boggling uh, when you see the tremendous kind of progress that has been done in, 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 in communication system, in particular in wireless communication system, since the, the first experiment that was uh, done by uh, uh, Marconi, uh, you, know, you know, Marconi did this first uh, transatlantic, transatlantic wireless uh, uh, com experiment, uh, I think about 120 years ago. So, uh, uh, you know, that's really, you know, to me, it was kind of fascinating from day one. And that's how I, I got on this field, first of all, as a, you know, an undergraduate student and eventually uh, uh, throughout my graduate studies and my PhD. And of course, naturally, I continued working in this field uh, as a faculty member in the last 25 years or so. Mm. So uh, now I think your, your second uh, part of the question was uh, what are my hopes for the next few years, right? Like yeah. five and I would say, say 10 years, you know, because we are talking about uh, uh, 6G. So usually we work on, on a chunk of 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so obviously I'm interested or uh, my hope, you know, because these two things are connected. I'm trying to work on things that hopefully will become reality, like many of my colleagues in, in this field. We are, you know, as I mentioned earlier, collectively working on beyond 5G or, if you will, 6G communication systems. And there are many aspects. I, I, I told you a little bit earlier about the two mission, I think, of 6G. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I would like to focus on in my group, or at least uh, what I would like to link my research activities to, is this kind of underlying sustainability theme. Uh, I think this is an important aspect of beyond 5G and 6G. And we, when you talk about uh, uh, sustainability, of course, uh, connected and connected, the unconnected is, is part of that. You want to, to provide internet for all. So that's kind of an interesting sustainable goal that kind of aligns itself very well with one of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. But there is also uh, other aspect. How can we make our wireless communication network more energy efficient. Uh, what think what kind of initial 5G deployment showed that uh, we are breaking records in terms of speed, in terms of how much data rate we can transmit, but actually we are becoming more and more power hungry. So we, we want to kind of push for more green networks. How can we achieve the same level of data rates, the same level of coverage, the same level of capacity in other words, this kind of Olympic game uh, type records in terms of performance, but with less energy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's another direction we are pursuing. A again, not only myself, but as a community. 
And again, it's in my view related very much to sustainability. The third, uh, I think, important direction uh, is uh, is an important actually direction. In the sense that it kind of sometimes uh, hurt us as 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 a wireless com community. This kind of um, uh, in a way, misinformation, uh, uh, at least uh, to, to, from our perspective, on the, how 5G and, 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 and general cellular network can be harmful to our health. Mm -hmm. So uh, you probably have heard about all of these uh, kind of uh, uh, news that kind of uh, uh, were there, uh, you know, together with 5G deployment in, in March, uh, April, when the pandemic was, you know, starting, start hearing about how 5g is connected to 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 the to covid 19 uh, you know so and, and unfortunately this led to all kind of arson attacks in the uk in ireland in australia so so obviously this is not, not good at all i mean at a time where probably people need most this connectivity because mm -hmm. they are you know locked down in their in their homes they are basically suffering from this kind of lack of connectivity because <clears throat> Someone felt <coughs> that basically this base station have to be destroyed. So, bottom line, what I'm trying to say, we, we need to actually revisit this issue very carefully by because we feel that we are operating in a very safe regime. We are operating in the non-ionizing regime of the spectrum. Uh, by non-ionizing, we are operating in you know in the lower RF side. Even for 6G, when people are talking about millimeter wave, terahertz, uh, even like visible light communication, that we are way beyond. The, what we call the ionized power spectrum, which means there is not enough energy to, to, to break atoms or to affect our DNA or to kind of uh, lead to all these kind of, uh, uh, you know, diseases. But maybe there should be some more effort from colleagues in biology in medicine to check maybe if there are some other non-ionizing uh, effects that can affect uh, health of people from RF radiation. So we have done a lot of experiment, not us as a community, to demonstrate that basically there are no bad effects from a non-ionizing perspective, but maybe there are some extra research that has to be done uh, experimentally to validate or to kind of make sure that we are still operating in a safe regime. And that's more, again, the, the job or the research part that can be conducted by people more in biology and medical schools. But for us, telecom engineers, what we need to work on, and that's one area we are uh, active on, is uh, essentially how to design uh, EMF, electromagnetic field radiation aware communication networks. How can we provide, again, the same level of performance, the same kind of data rate, the same kind of coverage, while making sure that the level of radiation is minimal or is clearly kept below very safe thresholds? Mm. So that's you know, a long answer to, 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 or to, to what I think is the third important uh, topic uh, of research or something that I would like to see evolving in terms of research in the next 10 years. The fourth and last uh, topic is to keep uh, pushing, uh, if you will, the limits uh, or the frontiers of wireless uh, communication networking uh, to enable uh, what we call wireless communication in extreme environment. And by extreme environment is, uh, you know, another way to say unusual environment. Mm. So underwater, uh, underground, um, tunnels, you know, within the body. So uh, all of these are uh, interesting new paradigms. I mean, some of them are already there, but they are, uh, you know, being done at very low data rate. So, uh, for example, yeah. when we talk about underwater communication, we know that uh, 
traditionally what we have been using is acoustical waves, which are great from a coverage perspective, but you know they deliver a communication system that operates at a very low data rate with a high latency. And uh, at Kaust, we have a very good team and, uh, of researchers. And actually, Professor Bessem Shiheda will be one of the uh, speakers uh, in Web 2021. And he, he will kind of uh, present Aquafy, uh, which, which is kind of a, a demo of how we can use optical wireless communication to deliver uh, high speed video streaming uh, from underwater. Uh, so, you know, and you, you can take the, the same kind of paradigm and say, okay, what about if I want to communicate from a downhole oil rig, you know, and how can I use underground communication in, in a muddy environment? Mm. Uh, what about if I want to, to use uh, what people are calling now nano communication, molecular communication to basically communicate within the body? Uh, for drug delivery or for futuristic uh, other applications. So I would say this is maybe the, not the next five years, like you, you said, but it's maybe the next 10, maybe it's a good part of 7G, you know? So it's kind of, uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, that's the beauty of technology and in particular communication. Uh, the sky is the limit, you know, once you achieve a milestone, there's always another milestone uh, basically that uh, we would like to achieve. Thanks for listening to this special series on connectivity. Science Town is produced by Mark Bowes, Alex Aries, and Julie West. I'm Nicholas DeMille. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.